This is Gateway City Sports. fans and welcome back to another episode of turning Two, episode number 12 today um, again we're doing a recap on the series that ended today with the miami marlins tito that game ended the way that dylan dinger loves it to end with the last offensive run from a dylan carlson grand salami how did you like today's ending I think, you know, if you're looking at it from the perspective of, you know, the sweep, you're just thinking to yourself how sweep it is, right? How sweep it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. So great ending to the series. The boys are heading back to St. Louis now. Um, Let's start from game one. Um, What were the positives, the highs and the lows of game one for you? So I'll start with the the lows, and I think you have to kind of hang your hat on um, just missed opportunities in general. I mean, I think you can sit there and say that the bottom of the order really, really, really struggled um, throughout this entire series, but particularly in this game, um, whenever you're uh, your seven, eight, or your six, seven, and eight hitters aren't really doing too much, um, and striking out at the rate that they are, uh, it becomes um, very difficult uh, to to win games. I mean, you're talking about three runs in the first inning, right, and then zeros, except for the fifth inning where you get one run, and that's it. Five hits, five hits apiece for, for both teams. So there wasn't a lot of offensive action. So missed opportunities, I think, um, really comes back to really comes back to haunt you. And I think, you know, it's easy to say because, you know, we had a a pretty decent first inning, right? Three runs off the bat. You're thinking, okay, that's great. But you got to think about it in perspective also that, you know, DeYoung doesn't come through there again as the four as your cleanup hitter and it comes down to uh Yadier Molina the ageless wonder and I know we'll talk about him some more later on this episode but the ageless wonder that is Yadier Molina uh doing what exactly what I said he was gonna do um in our last uh episode together and that was hit a double almost pretty much off the wall in dead away center field um to score two runs and actually break the game open just a tiny bit. Uh, Because think about it this way. If he doesn't do that, 
I'm not sure the Cardinals win that game. I don't know if the momentum would have carried in along. So I think if you're really going to pinpoint on something, it's the missed opportunities. The Cardinals um, struck out a decent amount. Now I'm going to turn to the positive here. And I think there's only really truly one positive thing. Um, and that was Daniel Ponce de Leon. I think he had a great game. Last time we talked, I said that his, uh, his start was of the most important for the Cardinals just because of how much the bullpen was being used in the in Cincinnati Red uh, Series. So when you look at the fact that Ponce de Leon was able to go five innings, only one earned run, only one walk, struck out three, that's, that's a line you can live with, especially from a guy that you just you weren't sure how he was going to do, who's been giving up walks like it's nobody's business. Um, to only give up one walk as opposed to the Marlins starter who gave up four walks um, you know, you can, you hang your hat on that and say, great, I'll take it because the Cardinals bullpen, as we saw in this series, which I know we'll talk about some more later on, um, was the biggest strength that they had. They held it together this entire series and nailed that game down. So I, I think those are my positives and negatives from game one. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think I am personally surprised by Ponce's, uh, outing on, um, game one and yeah it was definitely a high point I mean it could have went really bad I mean the the control wasn't really there but I mean he he walked what one guy mm-hmm. one and, guy that's it and, and that wasn't even till uh you know almost before he was out of the game so hats off to Daniel Ponce de Leon for having an, a stellar game one to actually set the tone for the entire series with the Marlins but um yeah, man. I mean, at the end of the day, you only need one run, one run to uh, win, and I think um, you know it, it paid off in game one. And yeah, I mean, you're right. The, the bottom half of the order, hell, even from about f- five down, without, I'm not going to even put Yadier Molina in the mix of that. But from five, please four, don't. No, he he no, he's getting a pass. He's absolutely getting a pass because he. Like I said last night in the podcast with Brendan Schaefer, uh, he's right now, he's our third best hitter, honestly. I mean, he's consistent, and he, he just knows what to do and, and to get things done. And it obviously paid off in game three, too. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I think Ponce gave us a great outing in game one. And, I mean, we got, you know, one more run, and we got yeah. the W. So, um you know, like I said, it just just takes one run to win. But yeah, one one earned run from from Ponce, and um, I mean, like I said, it set the tone for the entire series. I uh, think there was one stat that really stood out to me, and I and I think you probably ran across it, and we just I really want to bring light to it because um, it's it's actually very amazing. Uh, Ponce de Leon threw what 93 pitches total in his five innings of work. And I think what 82 of them or 80 something of them were fastballs. Yeah, actually it was uh man. Brendan actually discussed this last night too. So he threw 93 pitches and 83 were fastballs. And I noticed that watching the game, I was very concerned with that. And he's going to have to, he's going to have to mix it up. Ponce is going to be pitching in game three most likely um, in the Brewer series, but you're going to have to mix, mix it up with that club. I mean, that club has great bats and 
I just think you can't. I'm not calling the Marlins a, a, a minor league team by any means, but that's that stuff's not going to play. It's not going to play with every team, and he's ju- he's just going to have to start mixing things up, honestly. But yeah, I mean, 83 fastballs. Hey, it worked. It worked. And I think it. And I think the the crazy thing is is the fact that it did work means that something went right for him as much as we want to sit here and say, because I agree with you, if you're going to throw fastballs all day long to the Brewers or the Cubs or hell, even the Reds at this point, um, they're going to hit that ball. These, these are professional hitters. They will hit the fastball. You have to be able to mix up your pitches. You have to be able to throw a curve for a strike or at least a slider for a strike. And if you're going to be throwing fastballs all day long, you better have a heck of a changeup because they will tee off on you. The, pro- the problem is, um, well, I shouldn't even say it's a problem. His success became only became be- or only came because of his um, command of the strike zone, and which is hard to say because at times it's felt he was still pretty erratic. But then again, he only had one walk, so he was around the zone and he let his defense work. But again, good hitting teams won't let you get that pass. And Absolutely not. No, you're not. You're not going to win games um, like this every single time. You know, you you're by virtue of the team that you're playing that he played. That's how he was able to make his his mark on this game. But I'm not going to let that take away from the fact that he he went five innings, gave us what we needed. Uh, and that was semi deep into the game, only gave up three hits um, and one earned run. I mean, again, you you tip your cap and say, thank you. Good job. Get ready for the next one. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, gr- great, great first outing for Ponce in game one of the series. Uh, and you're right. Keep keep your tap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T- t- tip your cap to Ponce and, uh, you know. Hopefully he mixes it up a little bit in the uh, Brewer series, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so game two, um, <laughs> that sigh. <laughs> game two. I mean, as expected, I feel. I think some people wanted John Gant to go out and throw a little bit better. Um, I, I didn't see a lot of a play on the <sighs> the stuff low in the zone. I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, we got the W. You know. Uh, but it just, man, it's like we discussed last time with the with the red series, man. It's it's not gonna the stuff's not gonna play all season, and it really does. It taxes the bullpen. Um, but what did, what did you take from game two? So again, I'll start with uh, the negatives. Ten strikeouts. That's a lot. Um, that's just from the starter alone, too. You know, that's uh, so Sandy Alcantara, former Cardinal, obviously um, he struck out 10 birds and that's that's not going to get it done. And for a majority of the game, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of us were thinking uh, once the Marlins got that one run lead, you're pretty much thinking, boy, it's going to take something, uh, a, a gutsy win, uh, a gutsy uh, play to, to make this happen. And, and you got that. Um and I think it's it's weird to see how that game developed because in my head, um, as much as we were not hitting, 
in my head, I felt we were still going to win that game. I don't know what it was, but I just, it had the, 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 the marking of a game where the Cardinals just find a way to win. And you say, you know what, however it comes, you'll take it. It's a W you move on, but you can't strike out 10 times. And then, and again, you know, I'm, I'm, I look at the stats and I, and I think to myself, okay, where is the majority of that coming from? Um, uh, you've got two strikeouts apiece for O'Neill and Carlson, two strikeouts for Goldschmidt. So that's a little bit uncharacteristic of him. Not to say that it couldn't happen, but, you know, you don't see that very often. But again, in game one, Tyler O'Neill struck out twice. Dylan Carlson struck out. Um, Paul DeYoung struck out three times in game one, two, or game one as well. And so that, that habitual pattern of strikeouts, um, it's a little alarming, but it's not something that it's not foreign to the Cardinal team. You know, if you've, if you've been paying attention, you've seen the Cardinal strike out a ton of times. Um, that's just kind of how it goes. So I'm going to, I'm going to stop you right there before you go on to the positive note on that. But, uh, I don't. They only struck out, I believe, one time in in the in the uh, on opening day against Castillo. I think I, I don't don't quote me on that, but I think they did. Um, and I noticed an influx of strikeouts. I also know an, I also noticed an influx of of taking fastballs right down the middle. And I'm and I'm I'm not trying to make excuses for the team, but I'm starting to wonder if maybe guys weren't seeing the ball that well in that park. And I, I don't know. I've never been in that position. I've never talked to anybody that's hit there. But, I mean, you know, you, you said there's guys like, uh, I mean, Goldschmidt was striking out, which, you know, that's that's fine. He's hitting 300-plus. It's it's okay. Um, but, you know, those, especially in game one against Castillo, they weren't, you know, they weren't happening in that, in that Red Series. And I don't know. Like I said, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to to not maybe straddle the line, not take everything from them, but maybe they just weren't seeing the ball that well. And I think, you know, going into this next series at home, we might be able to tell a little bit more. But and I, I don't know. Maybe you had the same thoughts. Maybe not. Maybe you just think they'll suck. I don't know. But, yeah, uh, I mean, they they're a horrible team, and I wish everything ill on them. No, absolutely. So, what's your positives from game two? I you gotta you have to you have to say it's the gutsy win. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you have to, I think when you're, when you're down to zero late in the game, um, and you just get a little bit of a spark and, and you get it going, um, and you find a way to push runs across the board. Look, this all comes down to situational hitting, right? Um, Edmund scores on a pass ball, um, both runners advance along with Edmund. So you've got second and third. DeYoung comes up to bat, puts the ball in play, which is the most important thing he could do at that point. You would have liked to see it go into the air, into the outfield. That's great. But the most important thing is that he actually put the ball in play and didn't strike out. So you and I talked about it um, via text and even in our last episode, it's about productive outs. Mm-hmm. If you can push runs across the board, however you can get it done and you get out while you do it, you take it. So the fact that uh, DeYoung makes contact and I'm, I'm, I cannot 
take this take it away from him either. But Goldschmidt's base running at that moment was very very critical. That is a very hard read to make because you are essentially saying that you have to watch the ball leave the third baseman's hand and pray that you have enough speed to get you down uh, down to home. And you know I think people kind of give or kind of underrate Goldschmidt's ability to run. Yeah. He's not the fastest guy, but he can move. Um, he, he can definitely move. So he took a chance and it paid off. I mean, it reminded me kind of like Eric Cosmer in the world series, you know, a couple of years ago um, when he took that chance on, on that ball to first base, it's the same kind of scenario. You just have to, you have to make that opportunity appear and sometimes good things happen. And so, that happens. Then the next batter comes up. It's my boy, Yadier Molina. And what does he do? Puts the ball in play like he does every single time, puts the ball in the outfield and you get your third run from a sack fly. And then of course, you know, you get your insurance run late in the game to pad those stats. Your boy comes through Dylan Carlson with the little dinger from the right side of the plate too. Just a, just um, a, just a ding. Yeah. I mean, I, so uh, you, you have to say the gutsy win is the positive thing, and that's a good sign for a team that's going to be in these kinds of games pretty much throughout the year in their division play. Yeah, and I, I'm going to agree with that too. I mean, heads up base running by Paul Goldschmidt. I mean, that's that's huge to tie the game. And, you know, at, uh, at the same time, I'm going to parallel his running with the fact that the defense and John Gant kept them in the game to get them to that point. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that, that's huge too. How many double plays did he have? He had a, what three? I don't know. I, I don't at know. Least, at two. least two, but I'm pretty sure there were three double plays in that in that game. And look, Arenado, that play that he made, stepping on third, throwing across the bag, that's like bread and butter to him. And, and we're just not accustomed to seeing it all the time because we just haven't had somebody like that since Scott Rowland. But that's bread and butter, and it's just it's just amazing to watch him play defense. Well, yeah, and it, it got it. it it protected John Gant in that situation from getting, you know, advancing runners, et cetera, et cetera, people being on and all that stuff. It, it saved his ass a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely, you know, Goldschmidt's base running, um, right-handed home run by Dylan Carlson to, you know, pad the runs on there a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, and, and my goodness, Alex Reyes looked disgusting. Yeah, that, in game two. that bullpen right now is, again, I said at the very beginning, it's it's a very, very high strength for this team right now. Um, at this point, I'm not sure there's a better seven, seventh, eighth, and ninth inning combination than Gallegos, um, uh, Jordan Hicks, or Alex Reyes, however you want to swap Hicks and Reyes, given the day and time and circumstance. But honestly, I'm not sure there's a better combination right now across baseball. That is just lethal. I mean, if you had you have two guys at the very back end of your bullpen who can ramp it up to 98 or higher um, on a fastball and then drop it to a changeup where it's pretty much coming in like a regular fastball, but you can't tell because of the spin and the arm angle that's hard to beat. And Gallegos is no pushover, man. He can ramp it up there too. But the best thing that he has going for him is that, is that, is that slider that, that I guess Cardinals gifts calls it the kiss of death, man. Um, but that, that's when you, when you have people like that at the end of your bullpen, 
you're going to win a lot of games, but you have to get there too. Yeah. You got, you got to, you got to bridge that gap somehow. And then that's why we're needing our guys to go uh, five, six and, and hell, let's just jump on into game three. Then while we're at it, hell yeah. of a freaking outing today by Jack Flaherty. I know that first inning was extremely rough and painful to watch. And I thought to myself at that point in time, I thought to myself, here we go again, you know, uh, elevated pitch count in the first semi elevated in two. I mean, he allowed one hit. He allowed one hit. And, and what, four walks. I know the walks are an issue, but at the same time, this is the start that we needed today in game three to help out our bullpen. And, well, well, and you and I texted about it too. We, we literally talked about that Jack needs to be Jack. Yeah, and I think one of his – and I, I mean, it's not an issue. And, and I just think watching him um, pre-All-Star break 2019, I noticed like he, he didn't attack – hitters he didn't attack him it felt like he was trying to to get those calls on the black on the edge of the plate um and then you know 2019 second half you know he was just going after guys just absolutely going after them and that makes jack flaherty jack flaherty um now last year you know i don't want to sit there and say he was dancing around the zone but like you know you finally started seeing him i think the second half of his outing today actually going after these guys throwing that fastball throwing that fastball up elevating it a little bit um you know that that slider that he's got mm-hmm. i mean if he places that thing just right i mean it's it's disgusting because you can't read it it's got s- such a quick break at the end of it that you know these guys can't see it it's the, the issue that i noticed with the slider and stuff like that is you know whenever he, he leaves it he leaves it too low you know that they're already not swinging at it but i mean he he got it done today and he he gave us what we needed to get us to the pen and I mean, there t- today there was the negative. I would say, if I had to pick a negative for for Game Three, would I mean have to be the first inning? You know, the 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 pitching and the first inning. You know, the elevated pitch count. I mean, yeah, the strikeouts were there, but at the end of the day, I mean, like you can't you can't harp on it too much if you get the win. I mean, yes, there are issues in every game, I'm sure, but I mean. Seven runs is seven runs, and I know one came with one swing, but, I mean, even prior to that, you know, the starting pitcher for the Marlins today was tough, and they finally broke him just like they did Alcantara. So. Yeah, and I'm going to – I'll couple your first inning woes, um, and I'm going to uh, give, a, give a, a slap on the wrist to Matt Carpenter here as well um because let's let's be honest we didn't talk about it for game two and we probably could but i'm not going to too much because we all know that you know he's struggling um but he actually had a really good game two didn't have a hit and i know people are good i know i've seen comments where like well he's still got out okay great cool thank you you're you're really helping the conversation by telling me that the fact of the matter is, is that you have to look at the at bat. Um, and, you know, I know you got scared when he hit that ball out to the outfield at the very end of the game. I know you were scared. I know you were because I, as soon as he hit it, I stood up in my living room and I was like, please get out. Um, but he had a good game for what he, from, from where he was to that point. And then came the regression back to what he wasn't doing well. I mean, a 93-mile-an-hour fastball right down the middle, and you can't hit it? I've been I'm saying sorry. this. I've been I, saying I, this. 
over and yeah. over again. He's just his bat's just too slow. I mean, he's gonna have to start that thing whenever the pitcher comes set. I feel at this point in time, I, I don't know, but yeah, um, and I think and I think there's somebody mentioned that Jim Edmonds said about Tyler O'Neill where he doesn't have any load. Um, that is essentially pretty much telling me that um, he's not obviously he's not striding. He's literally either picking up his foot and putting it back down in the same spot and just waiting for the ball to get to him. The problem is, is that you tense up too much. And Matt Carpenter's deal is, is that if he doesn't get his front foot down soon enough to get his hands to the zone, they will lag behind. And we see it every day. Um, You know, had he got his hands to the zone yesterday on that ball, he probably hits that out. He honestly, I, I, I wouldn't doubt that. But the problem is, is that he's just not, it's either he's not seeing it quick enough and he's not getting his front foot down. So he might even learn something from Tyler O'Neill by, by placing his front foot a little bit wider uh, in front of him and, and eliminating that step in that he does when he comes to hit so that he he's already in a hitting position so that he can catch up to the fastball. But, but you, it's inexcusable for a major league hitter, in my opinion, for a major league hitter, a professional hitter, to not be able to hit a 93 mile an hour fastball down the middle. Absolutely. It's, it's I mean, not, I, it's not, it's not possible. No, and I get that. I, I just think his bat's so slow. I mean, it's, it's a timing thing right now. And he's just not, he's not swinging. I mean, and that's, it is what it is. I mean, hopefully, I mean, I, I, I have an odd feeling that they're going to start him tomorrow for the home opener. Now, I don't know how quickly they'll yank him. But, you know, it's, it's the Cardinals organization. They do their thing. They, they love to um, hold up their players that have been around forever and, and you know, show them gratitude, um, appreciation, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think that that could be a possibility tomorrow. I hope not, especially with the, the Milwaukee team coming off a win. But uh, I think it could be a possibility. But yeah, his match is so slow, man. I, I don't, I don't know how much longer it's gonna play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He connected on one today, but or yesterday in game two. But I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and and look, the the best possible thing for Matt Carpenter that happened to him is that Tommy Edmond continues to play at a very high level and can play the outfield. Um, I'm not sure how many balls actually were even hit to Tommy Edmond in the outfield for the last couple of day, last two games, but it seemed like. To me, there wasn't that many. So the defensive mistakes either are very well hidden or there are none. Um, and so Matt Carpenter, by virtue of Tommy Edmond playing a decent right field, and pretty much because of the fact that the, the right fielders actually didn't get a hit until this afternoon when Justin Williams finally got a hit, um, that plays a factor. Um, and if you know, we talked about it at the very beginning of the year where what is the situation for Carpenter? Why is he on this team? It is exactly for this reason right now that you can't, you have to compensate somewhere um, and try and put your best lineup out there that you think is going to give you the best chance to win each and every day. And right now, Mike Schilt thinks that is with Carpenter playing second base, you know, and Tommy Edmond in right field. And if that's the case, then I think people, you know, 
whether they like it or not, have to be comfortable with Carpenter in the lineup. Now, let's talk about where he should be in the lineup. Now, I don't think he needs to be fifth. I think we can all agree that that is probably the last thing that's going to happen moving forward. I think with what happened with Dylan Carlson over the last two days, um, you have to really start considering putting him back in the cleanup spot. I don't think you can go another day without doing it, but that remains to be seen. But at this point you have to, do you have to say Matt Carpenter probably is your eighth place hitter? Yeah. I I talked to Brendan last night about this and and you'll probably agree with this. I, I, I came out to him and I told him straight up. I said, man, I said, Yadier Molina is our third best hitter right now. And I, and I'm, I stick by that. But I think at this point in time, after the series against the Marlins, yes, you know, we faced two really good pitchers uh, the mm-hmm. past two games. But at this point in time, you know, I think that you need to put Dylan Carlson behind Nolan Arnato, and then you need to put Yadier Molina behind Carlson. And I say I like the idea of Yadier Molina behind Carlson because Yadier gets it done. Yadier yeah. absolutely gets it done, whether you need a single, whether you need a double – Hell, if you need a home run, obviously, I mean, he, he, he gets it done. And I think that is, you know, I don't think they're going to adjust the first three and that's fine with me, but Yadier Molina is just as good protection behind Dylan Carlson as Goldschmidt would be in my eyes, because like I just said, Yadi just flat out gets it done. And yeah, he may be slow. And that's why I don't want, that's why I don't want Yadi in front of Carlson because Yadi he's aged and Yadier Molina has never been fast. Right, you want him getting run off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, and I think it's I think that's a good spot for 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 the club. I think it's a good spot for Carlson. Um, I just I, I would I would give it a shot because what's happening right now in the fourth and fifth slots is not good, and it's a mood killer. I mean, mood killer, rally killer, anything. I mean, it's just it's it's bad, and at the same time, I don't I don't know if Tyler O'Neill left his bat. In Florida, oh, hell, obviously not because he couldn't hit. You know, <laughs> he couldn't hit in Miami today. You but can do I just, if you if you run out the same batting order that you did today, hell, this whole series, that just it, it's kind of a slap in the face to the guy who's, you know, yes, he doesn't have a single, he doesn't have a double, he doesn't have a triple, he has three home runs, but you got to start giving the guy some love, you know. Yeah, look, you, we, 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 I know there's a lot of banter that we do in our group, and I, I'm a very big instigator of pushing back on this whole Carlson in the four hole or the two hole. Um, but I also have said he will eventually get there. It was just a matter of time. And as I said today in our group, you know, it's nice. It's a nice problem that Schilt has because it is not out of desperation that Dylan Carlson is moving to the four hole or the two hole. It's because it's a necessity because he's pushing the envelope at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know what I'm saying? It's, it's Carlson making Mike Schilt say, you know what, if you're not going to place me here, I'm just going to tear the cover off the ball, regardless of if I'm hitting, uh, you know, singles or doubles. If I'm hitting home runs and you need power somewhere in the lineup or you need the ball lofted into the air because that left-handed swing is such a sweet stroke, 
um, you have to do it. And he's forcing Mike Schilt to make this move. So, you know, if, if it does not happen this next game, which I would be very, very shocked, but if it does not happen, I think the, the questions about Mike Schilt's lineup ability, your lineup construction are very valid at that point are very, very valid. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I saw fire Mike Schilt over the last couple of days because of Carpenter being in the five hole. Well, it's not I, necessarily, I don't even think it's necessarily just Carpenter, but you, I mean, right. I, I get that too. The, the buddy system of DeYoung and Carpenter, but yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like, it's not like Dylan Carlson's hitting these, you know, these homers that are barely clearing the wall. I mean, he right. is hitting absolute tanks. Nukes, I mean, yeah. that, that one off the foul pole on opening day was, I mean, I don't know where that would have landed in Bush if the no. foul pole was gone, but um, I mean, the one yesterday, Granted, I don't know if they got a first deck there in uh, Home or Lone Depot Park or whatever the hell it's called, but I mean that one that one was deep in that uh, that row of seats, and then that one today went into the yeah brush. But uh, yeah, I mean you got to give the kid a look. I mean he can't just hit in the eighth hole with no protection all season. I no. mean, I, and, and then people sit there and complain. Well, he needs to do something first. The, nobody's nobody's scared of if Tyler O'Neill. Nobody's scared of the pitcher. You know. No. And, even then, we, even if Justin Williams was behind him, nobody's really terrified of him either. And and let's go back to that. And let's go back to game uh, uh, game one with that first inning where you know you've got the bases loaded, and the fact that one, yes, you got three runs across the board. That's great. That's the minimum that you really you should score on a bases loaded situation. But the fact that you get to the point where um, you, you're relying on your sixth place hitter at that moment to push across two more um, instead of, you know, your top five, that, uh, that becomes a little concerning. And, and don't get me wrong here. You know, the guy who pushes it across is Molina. And that's almost just a given at this point that he's going to do something that benefits your ball club. Um, but at the same time, you know, you have to be thinking to yourself, okay, why, you know, why can't we be more consistent within that one through five spot? Um, I got to say this about Tyler O'Neill. Um, he's got to figure it out, man. That's a, he's racking up strikeouts. Like it's, it, it's just crazy. Then that defensive play that he made, Ugh. Uh, my goodness. I, 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 I don't actually, you know what? I think the throw was worse than the attempt to catch that ball. Yeah. Because I, 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 as an outfielder, when I played, there are certain times where the ball either gets lost in the, in the, in the lighting or the ball gets lost on, on its way out to you. I can certainly understand that, but there is no reason for you to miss your cutoff and get mad at the world because you misplayed a ball in the outfield and throw it away and allow that run to score. Yeah, you're lucky that Cardinals won the game, so he better be buying beer for whomever saved his butt. But the problem is, the problem wasn't that he missed the ball. The only reason the run scored was because of that throw. And then to top that all off with all the strikeouts and all that going on, he's really in a negative spot. So he needs to figure it out. And the problem is, is there's nobody else that's going to replace him out there. He well, is the left fielder. Yeah, and I mean, uh, many people have preached, you know, give Tyler Neal consistency. Well, I mean, how much consistency do we give him before we say that's enough? 
you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, granted, we're only six games in, you know, it may, we may head to San Louis and something may click. And like I said earlier, you know, maybe there was an issue seeing the ball. Yeah. I mean, that it, it, it could be the ballpark. I mean, you said it earlier, you know, these, these strikeouts piling up the way they did, maybe it's just the, the way the ballpark lays out this color scheme is absolutely ugly in there anyway. So I, you can blame it on that. I, that's fine. I just think he needs to figure it out. And um, I want to go back to, uh, to something that you said though, that I think we need to continue to appreciate as Cardinal fans um, and that you said Yadier Molina continues to get it done. And at this point, you just, it's just a it, watching him play the game of baseball. It's just a beautiful thing. When you are able to command a pitching staff, when you are able to command the field of play, um, and when you are able to produce at a high level offensively for your team day in and day out, and granted, yeah, he might have a bad game here or there. But when, but most of the time he's continuously playing at a high level, I, I just, I, I can't understand how people don't think he's going to not going to be in the hall of fame. I know we talked about it once already, but just watching him today, it just, it just amazes me. It just amazes me. Yeah. I mean, it, that's why, that's why I would love for him hitting behind Carlson. I think that's yeah. good protection for him. If, if they don't want to move the lineup, the first three around, then that's, that's fine. You can put Carlson fourth, Matt Yachty fifth, because I, I think, yeah, Yachty may not have the speed, but, but I mean, he will throw the bat out there for a little single. Uh, obviously he'll pull them hands in and hit a home run down the line. And that, I, I'm sure you were working at the time, but that the ball off his bat was so loud today that, um, I mean, you could just tell he got a hold of it. Yeah, I watched the replay about four or five times, and I mean, the pitcher missed his misses his spot. And the well, thing is, is when you do that, and the ball comes in on Yadier, and he's able to extend his uh, his hands out before the ball gets to the plate, that thing's gone almost every single time. Well, in, in the pitch prior, I want to say the pitcher two prior, he was right on top of it. I was like, man, he just missed that one, and that next one, man, he just cranked it. I, I, I'm telling you, his approach at the plate, I wish the younger guys would would really buy into what Yadier Molina does with his approach at the plate. I know it's not very uh, popular to swing at first pitch pitches like that, but what, even, even when he doesn't swing at the first pitch, he spits on whatever is coming because that's not what he's looking for. That, but when he recognizes it, it's gone, man. That's what I think happened in that plate appearance. He went to actually, because I was waiting for it. I was waiting for the the first pitch swing. He mm-hmm. he took the first two pitches. It was two zero count. That third pitch, I think it was a low fastball, and he just missed it. And then that that fourth pitch is the one that he cranked. And um, yeah, I mean he he continues to amaze me. But there I, there's no I mean I, there's no bias here. I mean I, I watch him day in and day out. I mean he's. He's in the Hall of Fame. Depending on who the crowd is surrounding him at the time, he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But like I said, that's just going to be who's surrounding him. Um, but anyways, no, you know, we got the sweep as we should, as we needed. Um, and we're going to take a 4-2 and two record back to St. Louis tomorrow for the uh, 
home opener facing the three and three Milwaukee Brewers. Now I'm going to throw the first pitching matchup at you. Um, and we'll go through this pretty quick, mm-hmm. but um, Corbin Burns, 1.42, obviously one game ERA, um, 11 strikeouts, and then he's going against Wayno. What do you, uh, I won't even talk about the opposition. What, what do you expect out of Wayno tomorrow? Well, I expect him to be better than what he was, that's for sure. Um, and he needs to be because his opposition took a no hitter into the sixth inning and lost it on a home run, but he struck out 11 guys. Um, the only reason why he loses that game was because the Twins pitcher was just as good as him. Um, they both took no hitters into the sixth inning, and you and I were talking about that game, and, you know, that's just, that, you know, sometimes the beauty of baseball. But Wainwright has to be better. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's not going to take much to be better, but he has to be better. No, I mean, he will. I mean, that's what I told Brendan yesterday, um, that I expected a, a much better outing out of Flaherty today due to the weather and, and such. And, I mean, granted, you know, four walks is, is a little high, but, um, I mean, everything else is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I expect the same out of Wayno. I expect him probably to go. I would like to see him actually go six, six minimum. Um, but I think that opening day is just – it's it, it, it's going to take over. Um Mm-hmm. It's going to take over, and I expect better a better outing out of Bueno tomorrow. Um, and, and I'm going to throw this out there because I think there is a real possibility that this is poss- you know, possibly his last opening day as the St. Louis Cardinal. Um, I don't want to throw the bad jujis out there, but you know, if this is it, um, there's not a better person or a better St. Louis Cardinal pitcher to be on the mound for opening day for the St. Louis Cardinals. So I really am going to tip my cat to Mike Schilt for um, lining it up this way because uh, Wayno deserves this moment. Um, and Yadier Molina is going to be catching, so nobody get any ideas of him taking a break. Did you say but, Andrew Kisner was going to be catching tomorrow? <laughs> you wish, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, there's not a better person. And so I think he meets the moment um, and he, he has a solid game. Uh, I'm expecting probably I'm, I'm expecting five innings personally. Um, I'm not going to push the limit. I would love to see him get to six innings and, and get to that back into the bullpen. Like we talked about. Um, but I, I would be okay with uh, you know, uh, five innings in and two earned. That'd be okay with me. Yeah, I mean, I think anything positive uh, tomorrow. Well, hell, I think anything tomorrow is going to be better than we saw in Cincinnati. <laughs> I, you have to, you have to believe that that's going to be the case. Yeah. So it looks like an off day Friday, and then Saturday we've got uh, Mark Carlos Martinez going against Adrian Hauser. Um, I expect um, with the with how Carlos Martinez was dealing. Um, in that third game against the Reds, I fully anticipate a, a fantastic outing out of him, and I hope, I hope, I hope I'm right because um, I know there's a lot of uh, people applauding his pitching to start out the game, and obviously things got away a little bit, but I, I fully believe that with the temperature change, I think we're going to see a much better outing out of uh, Carlos. 
I don't know how long, how far he'll go into the game, but I'm, I'm expecting a lot better as long as he can stay focused and stay on the path. Um, I mean, regardless, regardless of anything else, the Brewers are going to be a tough squad, but I, I do anticipate Carlos to have a great game. Yeah. And, and even if he doesn't, he just needs to be a little bit better than Adrian Hauser. Right. And I don't even really know who Adrian Hauser is, but in looking at the line, you know, a 3.6 ERA, 1.2 whip, you know, his last outing, five innings, four hits, only four strikeouts, two walks, gave up a home run, literally almost literally the exact same stat line as Carlos Martinez. Only problem was, is he gave up a little bit more runs. So you just have to be a little bit better than Adrian Hauser to have a good game. But I agree. I mean, I think there's real opportunity if Martinez wants to continue to develop his season and develop as that starting pitcher that we know he can be. This is a really good test for him, uh, especially coming off an off day where he has a little bit more extra day of rest. Um, and again, Yadier Molina will most likely be catching that game for him too. So he, he just needs to, he needs to dial it up a little bit and, and be the same pitcher he was for the first four innings against the Reds and just extend it for the next two. He's just got, he needs to just stay focused. And I think he did a pretty good job last time. Um, it, it's just that one particular inning, usually in the fourth, fifth inning for him, uh, where it come becomes a little unglued and, and he's just got to, uh, stay mentally focused. Yeah, I think it's usually the second time through the through the order where it kind of unravels just a hair. But yeah. I mean, everybody seemed impressed with uh, his first outing, despite you know the downfall. But uh, yeah, I I think he'll be better this go. I think, uh, but like Flaherty today, you know, I expect a lot out of Carlos. Sure. Um, in game two, so game three, we've got Brett Anderson who's a lefty facing Ponce. Um, my thoughts, you know, cram the lineup with righties, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. I, I say, I say at this point in time, if his hands better, I'd say you need to throw Nagowski in there for his first start. Um, potentially. Obviously don't throw a lefty in there like Carpenter, because that would be a disaster. Um, but I think, you know, I think, if, if Ponce can mix up his pitches, I think we could see something similar, you know? Um, it's hard to gauge it because of the previous starts that we've seen in the past from uh, Ponce de Leon. But, you know, if he can mix up a little bit more, I, I mean, he can, he can go toe-to-toe with the best of them. I mean, that first, that first outing he ever had, you know, he went, what, seven no-hit innings. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's there. You know, it's just – slow it down, control everything. But I mean, Brett Anderson's ERA is mimicking Carlos Martinez. It's seven plus. So, I mean, it is what it is, but that's who's going in game three. And I'm sure you probably have a similar idea for Ponce de Leon. Yeah. uh, And I I would say this, look, you're facing a Brewers team that as a team is batting 161. Um, They haven't had, much success really their obp is two you know 0.24 um their sluggings 0.248 you know this is a team that's really really struggling um hitting so 
this is an opportunity for uh, Ponce de Leon to, to build off this last start and really focus on uh, uh, staying consistent with his fastball. And then, like we talked about, you know, earlier um, in the show, you know, there is a when you're throwing that many fastballs, good teams will catch up to it and they will hit it. Um, so that's a Milwaukee Brewers team hitting 161 with pitchers throwing fastballs and changeups and curveballs, um, not just fastballs. So you have to be able to mix in your pitches. And I fully expect that um, uh, for them to do that. But I would not, again, I wouldn't be surprised if they stuck to this approach um, and said, you know what, if you're just going to be able to throw your fastball, then you need to locate. Um, and so look for look for that in game three with Ponce de Leon. Is he locating his fastball? Personally, I think this is the first time you you see uh, Andrew Kisner get a start, um, mainly because it's coming off. Um, I think it's a day night, right? Um, um, no, it's it's two afternoons. So there, there, there might be a chance that Yadier plays all three, but I wouldn't, I would be, uh, I would probably uh, look for Kisner to maybe get a start that Sunday, um, especially if they've taken the first two games, um, hopefully get Kisner a start and give Yadier Molina some rest before uh, the next series against the Nationals. Yeah, absolutely. And then what's odd about this is I just looked it up. It just went over my head. Every single game in the series is during the day. For whatever reason, I mean, opening day in St. Louis is, you know, they always do the daylight thing. And then Saturday's game is, I think, at one. And then yeah. they got the Sunday day game as well, which is fine. It's it's whatever. But, yeah, absolutely. I think that's – we could absolutely see Kisner start that, that Sunday game before the Nationals come to town. Oof, man, a break. But, I mean, holy shit, man. We need to get a hold of the, the – uh, I mean, I think we're getting a hold of the Brewers at the right time. But I think we need to get a hold of the Cubs at the right time. Right now, too, they they can't hit, they can't hit nothing. There, so the Brewers and the Cubs are pretty. I think they're, you know, last and seconds of last in, in in team batting right now. They're just not very good. I think you know, the, uh, we we talked about it um, a couple of episodes ago where we said, you know, what were the Cardinals going to finish in their in their division? And one point that we both brought up was, you know, these teams are going to be beating each other up. Mm-hmm. And you know, seeing the Reds just absolutely pound the Pirates into oblivion is is nothing new. Every team's gonna pretty much do that, except for the Cubs, I guess. But every team is gonna do that to the Pirates. So you can't really hang your hat on that. It's these four teams right here: the Cards, Cubs, Reds, and Brewers that are gonna be just trading blows every single day. So when you are playing worse opposition, like you did. Um, this last series against the Marlins. That's why this sweep was so critical because you had two teams trading victories and losses in your division while you were picking up ground elsewhere. Um, and I said it at the, uh, in our last episode when we were previewing the Marlins, I said, we should win all three of these games. And we did, whether that was convincingly or not, we won all three because of who because of what was coming ahead, you won. The, you want the momentum heading into the Milwaukee series. You're going to get that. Now the next step here is how much more can you add on? Can you take it to the next level? Can you build on the starts that you had during this uh, this series, which were great starts? 
every single every single pitcher except for Gant maybe um, had good starts. So and your bullpen was again I keep saying it but was lights out. So everything is there for the Cardinals. Now it's time to put the hitting together with it and be consistent at the plate. And if they can do that, they will easily dispatch of Milwaukee. Um, I expect them to win at least two games at home against the Brewers. And, and again, you have the, the nationals coming up after that, then the Phillies and then the nationals again, and then you got a showdown with the reds. You want that. If you want, if you want good baseball and play, you want to play good baseball, you need to make sure you do it through all those games leading up to that red series. Yeah, and I think um, I think the Reds are going to have a rude awakening uh, once they depart um, Cincinnati. Honestly, I mean the ball always travels there. Mm-hmm. The the scores of their games have been inflated. Now, granted, yes, they played the the Pittsburgh Pirates three games, but I think they're going to have a rude awakening when they go somewhere else. Um, but and I, mean, I and I hope so. But listen to these, listen to their opponents for their next series until they meet the Cardinals. Ready? Mm-hmm. Diamondbacks for three, Giants for three. Indians for three and Diamondbacks for three. That's not, that's not great teams that they're playing. No, so, but they're, they're going to have to play tough teams sooner or later. Yeah. And, and I, and I agree because once they play the Cardinals, they put, they played the Dodgers, then they played the Cubs. So it, it does get harder, but I think it lends to my point about racking up wins when you need to rack up wins, right? You need to keep playing consistent baseball. You know, I think a good number for the Cardinals leading into that red series is if you can win about 50 to 60% of those games leading into the red series, you're probably in a good spot, but you would hope that this momentum that they built off the Marlins series starts to carry into the Brewer series and gets them set up for a, a nice little run here before they meet the Reds again. Absolutely. Well, let's close up shop for tonight. We got another series recap we're going to have to do in about three, four, four days now. So you have any, have any closing arguments? Uh, no, I, I think um, the one thing that I'll say is, uh, you know, a home opener is, is, is a spectacle. Uh, to see, I, you know, I've been to a home opener a couple different times and it's just goosebumps watching the festivities and being around uh, people in St. Louis. And I'm happy that the, that the stadium is going to be open to, you know, 30% uh, capacity. Um, I wish it was a little bit more, but certainly I think everybody can understand the circumstances that the country is still going through. Um, I will say this. It was pretty cool to see the the uh, Ranger Stadium at full capacity. Um, it it kind of brought you back to that time where you're like, man, that's baseball. That's what it looks like right there. Um, and the Cardinals will get there. And I think that you know everybody needs to have patience and and, and getting into the stadium. Um, you know, I know tickets can sometimes be hard to are, are hard to come by at, at times, um, but. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. And one last thing, uh, two last things I'll say, cause I didn't, I haven't done it yet. Um, since we've been podcasting together again is a uh, shout out, uh, Emo's pizza, baby. Love you. Um, and then last thing, um, Katie Wu for the athletic for the Cardinals is lighting Twitter up right now. And, uh, she's awesome. So that's, that's all I've got. I'll make sure to tell her to listen to the very last part where you give her a shout out. Okay. One, one last thing on my end who homers tomorrow. 
<laughs> well, let me let me if the if, if carp's in the lineup, you know who I'm going to. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Arenado does. I, I think he does. Um, Man, that'd be sweet. Oh yeah, I, I, I I'm playing I'm playing the crowd here. Um, I like what I see uh, out of him. I mean, he's got a six game hit streak going right now. Um, so I, I think he gets into one and I, I think he gives the crowd uh, what he wants and he gets that uh, standing go curtain call. Oh, he's getting that anyways. I'm going to go with Goldschmidt. Honestly, I think he, he's due for one after that, uh, that opening opening day debacle as I'll call it, but I'm, I'm going with Goldie. He missed, he missed a, a pitch, not by much the other day. I think it was in game two. Um, but by the way, where is this emotion from Goldie coming from? Well, you know, he's, he's getting older, you know, as we age, we get grumpy. Yeah, I guess that's true. Grumpy old men like yourself. Uh, uh, they are sometimes hard to please. So I get it. Absolutely. Okay, well, uh, you guys can download the Turn Into Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, and Spotify. Until next time, take it easy. Go Cardinals.